This is Y-Tune Shuffle. Y-Tune Shuffle, it's the music that informs our lives. The rules here are that there are no rules other than just bring in your music, mm. hit play. And then we get to pick your brain about why those songs. Welcome to Y-Tune Shuffle, a celebration of the music that inspires our lives. With your host, comedian and radio personality Maggie Mayfield and Hollywood's secret weapon, David Earl Waterman. This is Y-Tune Shuffle. This is a show called Y-Tune Shuffle. I'm Maggie Mayfield, your host with David Earl Waterman, a.k.a. Hollywood's secret weapon, our lovely co-host today. <laughs> and our guest today, I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, this is Guy Paul Larravee. And I've known you, Guy, as Guy Dark for most of my radio career. And what makes this episode so special is that Guy Dark was my boss for a long time when I was working in Ash... Oh, my God. I'm saying it wrong. Osh- Oshkosh Appleton, Wisconsin, right? Because it's been so many years. So you were Guy Dark and you were the operations manager at Cumulus when I first met you and we're doing an afternoon show for years and years and years on a station called 96.9 The Fox. Is that how I remember it correctly? You got it. Awesome. Um, and since then, you've you've moved on and you're, you've been doing radio kind of all over the Midwest. And what is also so fascinating is that you're also a ballroom dancer. Yeah. Yeah, I am. Uh I picked it up, I want to say about 10, 12 years ago. It was really out of the blue how this happened. I don't know if any of you are familiar with a play called Tony and Tina's Wedding. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so this this play was being performed in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And my girlfriend and I at the time, it was like our one-year anniversary. It's like, let's do something a little different. Instead of just going out to dinner, let's go to the let's go to this play. And for, for people, people who've, who've not seen the play, Basically, you're going to this crazy, Catholic, loud, Italian wedding. And you're not sitting in an audience. You are part of the action. Oh, yeah. so, so we're sitting there, and the woman who's playing the mother of the bride sees me and my girlfriend just kind of sitting there, kind of shy and quiet. She's like, I paid good money for this, for, this, uh, for this reception. Get off your asses and dance. <laughs> so we did. And, you know, I've got, like, my Converse high tops on. You know, I wasn't dressed up. I just had jeans and whatever, and and my girl wasn't dressed up either. But we went out there. Then the next day when I was at work at the station, I messaged her. I said, you know, I really, would really like to take dance lessons. And she's like, really? Cool. And she, um, you know, Googled local places in Appleton, Wisconsin, and we found a place to go. So that's that's how that all started. That's amazing. And you've competed doing this. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, we we broke up. But I kept doing it, which made me sort of an oddity because a lot of the times, as you guys would, I'm sure know, the women want to dance and the men just kind of sit there. If you've ever been to a wedding or, a, <laughs> you know, yeah. a holiday party, the girls will dance with each other. You'll put on like a very cliche song like Celebration by Cool and the Gang You're or right. Old Time Rock and Roll. And every, you know... 40 something chick is out there with her friends and they try to then maybe like they'll grab like one guy who gets some liquid courage but i uh, i just kept with it every time you? i'm that guy i don't know <laughs> you're 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 the guy with the khakis on doing like the uh, homeboy shuffle perfect that's exactly me <laughs> that's I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with this guy, but um, David opened my eyes to something called a silent disco that's become really popular here in Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah, it's where you like put your headphones on and there's several different DJs playing music all at the same time. And then everyone's dancing, but it's silent if you walked in without headphones on. Yeah, there's a festival here in Wisconsin called Bliss Fest. 
And I went to it last year and they had that, they had that same idea. It was mostly younger, much younger than myself. Mostly people in their teens and twenties doing it, but they all had their headphones on, just dancing to the beat of their own drummer. What's the median age of the dancing competitions? And if, and if, if you're not too uh, embarrassed to share, how far have you gotten like in competition? Well, um, here's the thing. It, I wasn't competitive in the sense of the people that you see like on Dancing in the Stars. Okay. I'm an amateur. So the people that were actually competing on the very high level that would go to places like Vegas or Mexico City or whatever, you know, these are women that are, are, have enough money to drop $4,000 on a dress. Oh, wow. The, okay. then, then you're worried about the travel and the training and all that. What I did was basically competing in social dancing and you know we were scored and uh yeah i as far as age goes the club that i was a member of back in appleton wisconsin most of the people were probably retired or, or about to be retired it was something that you'd get like a, a husband and wife together let's do a date night and then a lot of successful people we had a state senator we had a lot of college professors people that owned their own businesses i was the oddity being the radio guy and we did have a handful of people that were younger, that were maybe in their, you know, late twenties, early thirties, and maybe got turned on to it because of Dancing with the Stars. But I'll tell you, it's an expensive hobby. I mean, I was taking lessons; it was seventy bucks a lesson, and I would sometimes wow. take three or four a week. Wow, that's an obsession. So I'm driving out a rusted out 2004 Hyundai. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, I was making decent money as the operations manager of Cumulus, so I was not hurting. But it was just an expensive hobby, which obviously, if you're talking about someone that's just out of school or somebody that has younger kids, they really can't afford it. So mm -hmm. hence, you've got, you know, the people that are, you know, in their 50s and 60s, the kids are out of the house, they've got a good nest egg, and this is like their date night thing. So yeah, I mean, it, I was started it doing it when I was in my 40s, now in my 50s. So that's how it works. That's cool. That's, I, I, my wife and I have talked about, you know, there's classes, obviously, we're in Los Angeles, and you drive by them all the time, studio. So it's no no question we couldn't get into something affordable. But that's cool. Quick plug: the best dancing shoes a man can buy. Oh man! Well, there's like there's <laughs> a <laughs> and then, well, it's not Converse Chuck Taylors. Uh, I've I've bought some pretty expensive shoes. The Latin shoes are a little bit higher. I'm yeah. only five eight. But it kind of worked out because the woman that I did most of my dancing with, I had a few different partners. I mean, girlfriend, then I would do these uh, showcases, we'd call them, with a few different teachers. And the last teacher I had I really loved is a little tiny Italian lady who's barely five feet tall. So she made me look very tall uh, dancing with her. Uh, there, but there was a you know a store in Appleton right, right near the studio that we basically bought our shoes at. The, the women are the ones that really are spending a ton of money. The guys' shoes are pretty, pretty basic. Okay. <laughs> How did you get started in radio? Well, I think I knew I wanted to be on radio to about the time that I turned on a radio when I was like maybe 10 years old. I mean, I just thought it was so cool that somebody could play music on the radio and talk. It, it's, it's really that simple. And I was that annoying kid that would call radio stations to make requests and win prizes. And I see I see Maggie yeah. dancing around yeah. and uh, touching her nose, like, because you were probably were you the same way? It's exactly. I grew up in uh, small town, New Jersey, and I was obsessed with a station called WPST, and I would call every day. Can you play this song? What are you doing? Can you play this song? Da -da 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 -da. Like, yeah, they knew exactly who I was. Can you play 311? I think that was the big one <laughs> uh, that yeah. I wanted to hear all 
all the time. Yeah, so I, I knew I wanted to do that. I just really got into radio, really got into music. And then I went to a college in Rhode Island. I grew up in Massachusetts, right on the Rhode Island, Massachusetts line. And there were, you know, there was a school radio station. It was only, you could only really hear it in the dorms. It was considered like what you call a carrier current station. It, it since blossomed into a, you know, an actual FM station. But back then in the early, I went to college from 80 to 85. It's on the five-year plan. But, uh, <laughs> You know, I spent more time at the radio station than I did studying. I mean, I was a smart kid in high school, but I only graduated with a 2.7. But I was spending so much time at the radio station. That's what I knew I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's just that whole being, you know, the the, the radio call-in kid. And, you know, I think that there are, there's a pretty big group that would fall into that category. But then to make the leap into actually doing it is sort of where, you know, the, the milk rises to the top or the cream rises to the top. As, a, as also a person who called in a lot, I remember my greatest call-in victory. Maggie, <laughs> you or Guy remember something you called in and one that still can come to your mind on a radio contest? No, but I do remember saying something risque on the radio, which I thought was probably really funny when I was a high school kid. There was a station in Providence called JB105, and it was like, I think the feature was called like Make Todd Laugh. I think the DJ's name was Todd. <laughs> and and I just called in, and it was, it, this is so juvenile. But I said, um, I said, hey, Todd, what band would play at a menstrual show? He says, I don't know. I said, Alexandra's Ragtime Band. <laughs> oh! oh! And I... And, you know, and 16-year-old guy thought that was funny as hell. It is. It's still funny. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, the funny thing is, though, I, I did go to a college that had a college radio station at it. And, you know, I knew that, that you know, to get my foot in the door, obviously, to get some training and not going to broadcasting school. But the funny thing is, my first year of college, I went to the, the student radio station, and I was so intimidated that I left. I mean, it, it took the second year when I was actually a sophomore because it seemed just very clicky and it seemed like, oh my God, I'm never going to get on the air and all these people are assholes and da 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 da. Yeah. Then the next year, then that summer, I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm paying good money. I'm taking out loans to go to school. I want to do radio. And I did it. And then back then, the way they kind of weeded people out was most people wanted to be on the air and play music. But we also did news every hour. I'm sure it sounded horrible. You know, we had, I think we had an AP machine where we could rip and read news. And it basically is, if you did a semester as a news person on someone else's show, then once a two or three hour shift opened up, you did it. That was a way to weed people out. And then I became the music director of the station. I would, you know, spin records in the school's bar. They, we had a, this is so funny to think about it now, but in the downstairs of the student union, we, uh, you know, me and my other buddy, we said, we were playing all the music that was popular at the time. It was maybe giving the era would have been like modern English. I melt with you or the romantics. What I like about you that, wow. that was, that was like my college era. That is so fun. And what was the, what was the school? What was the name of the station? Well, the school is Rhode Island college. It's in mm -hmm. Providence, Rhode Island. And the, the, the call letters when we first started was W R I C for Rick. Then that, that's, it was only like, again, a carrier current, on campus station at the time. By the time I left or a year after, they became WXIN, which still does exist to this day, so. Yeah, well, you're gonna have some rich music history and I'm so excited to jump into this. So here we go, this is your song number one. Ooh, 
we are no stranger to Aerosmith's Dream On. Why this song? Why did you pick this song? Great choice. Well, again, I grew up in Massachusetts in the 70s. And um, up until around the time Aerosmith came onto the scene, the only music I was really familiar with was the stuff that my parents played, which would have been a lot of 70s soft rock, I guess you call it yacht rock now, James Taylor, Carly mm -hmm. Simon, um, even going back, yeah, even going back to like the Beatles or the Mamas and the Papas. So yeah. that's the stuff I remembered. But then, you know, as I got a little older, and I guess, you know, you're an adolescent, you're hitting puberty, your voice is changing, you're getting here in weird places, you're thinking about girls, and you, and, you know, you're, I, you're basically becoming, you're transforming from a boy to a man's adolescence and you know Aerosmith is everything a teenage boy wants to hear and you've got Steven Tyler waving his mic around making suggestive lyrics and and me growing up in Boston you know growing up an hour away from Boston that was like the quintessential song for a kid in Massachusetts to listen to in the 70s and the lyrics are still awesome to this day mm -hmm. yeah and I've probably seen Aerosmith more times than any other band I've seen the first concert I saw was actually Aerosmith oh wow We'll definitely get yeah. Back let's to bookmark that. that. Yeah, we'll come back to that. But so I was going to ask, like you you grew up in Mass, where which part of Massachusetts? I spent so many great years. I'm from upstate New York, so I I went to school for a little while in Boston, then worked there as a com, uh, as a sketch comedy actor. Whereabouts in Mass are you are you from? Well, the town that I'm from is Westport, Mass. It's in between Fall River and New Bedford. Fall River, yeah. Mm -hmm. Fall River. I was born in Fall River. And as an aside, anybody who's listening that's not familiar with Fall River, that's where Lizzie Borden was from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it, uh, so you grew up with the Rock of Boston, WBCN. Absolutely. That you know, once I, you know, once I got out of my quick top forty phase, that was the station that I, you know, inspired me to do radio. It was so great back in the seventies and early eighties. Oh my gosh! Unreal. I was on the listener line, and I would go in just as as. Um, Charles Laquadero would end his show, and then I worked uh, Ken Sheldon's show up until Mark Perenno came in. And what a what a, a lesson in radio that was! It's just oh, I can only imagine. I mean, I at one time I had a T-shirt from there was the record store chain, as you probably know, Strawberries that was popular in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. And I had it. I had a T-shirt that said, "I have my I have my coffee with Ken at ten on BCN or something to that effect." That's so cool. I had one of those T-shirts, but uh, yeah, I. Uh, and before Ken Shelton was on WBCN, he was on another station called BZFM, which was a, a, a top 40 station. And I would actually send a self-addressed stamped envelope to get their top 40 list of the hits that every week. Wow. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, radio is in my blood and that's... Uh, Do you, yeah, yeah, you were in the great environment for it. Do you have any brothers yeah. and sisters? I do. I have a brother who lives in Vancouver, British Columbia. Oh, wow. Is he older, younger? He's a couple of years younger, but he seems a lot older. He's very, very serious. <laughs> uh, he's uh, He's got a master's in social work. He's extremely liberal to the point where he would call himself a communist. He's like, he's somebody that thinks Bernie Sanders is too far, isn't far enough to the left. Wow. Yeah, I, I visited him back in 2010. I mean, he's a good person, but he's just, he's so intense. He's, it's so hard to get this guy's smile. It's all about the, you know, how corporations are evil and crushing the common man. And I believe a lot of that, but I also believe it's okay to want to make money and have nice things. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, but yeah, uh, he's, uh, you know, he's uh, 
taller than I am, much more serious than I am. He's married. He's got a child who's shouldn't call her child. She's twenty three. She's an adult now. Wow. Uh, but yeah, that's that's my one sibling. Yeah. Do you did you guys ever share music like when you were kids? Were you like, oh, you have to hear this? Yeah, we were into a lot. Yeah, we were into a lot of the same kind of stuff. We really were. We went to concerts together. Um, since we've already kind of teased my first concert, I remember like the first concert I actually drove to was to see Cheap Trick at the Providence Civic Center, which is only about a half an hour from where I lived. And this is like how much times have changed. Uh, the drinking age back in Massachusetts back then was 18. Mm-hmm. I looked a little bit older because I shaved pretty, you know, I had, you know, I could go two or three days and look almost like an adult. And back then it was so lax anyway about checking IDs because Rhode Island, that's what it was. Rhode Island was still 18. So we were right, right on the line. So I went to the store, got myself a couple of six packs of Moosehead beer, and I had it in my car in my 1970-something Volkswagen Squareback. And my father, who was a teacher, looks in the car. He's like, guy, what's that with the beer in the car? He's like, well, me and my friends, were going to go see the show. He's like, I don't know if you should be really drinking and driving. Like, oh, whatever, Dad. You know, it's like, oh I thought God. that he was being a really strict a-hole parent, you know, for getting down on his kid who had, like, who was literally underage drinking mm-hmm. and was on planning to be driving to the civic center and drinking beers in the parking lot with my buddies. It's like, you know, it's like that 70s show. I mean, I grew yeah. up in that time, you know, Kelso. I love that. I just want to share the the nugget I found on this song because it's so fascinating and I've never heard this before, but Dream On, it took them like six years to write the song and it, it really only came together when their manager was like, you guys need to be in this house. You need to finish this album. You need to work on this. And what kind of solidified all of it was that outside of the house that they were staying in, there was a suitcase full of money that Steven Tyler found and he went and used that money to go buy himself a nice new keyboard and gangsters came looking for it and he just played dumb the whole time like i don't know what you're talking about i don't know what this money is but that suitcase they call it the suitcase incident is really what helped them finish writing that album that's amazing that's one of my my fantasies is that i'm going to stumble across <laughs> the started loop right like that really song. happened to somebody steven tyler of all people i'd never heard that before but i thought that was fascinating yeah, and a couple of years ago, I think it was two summers ago, Steven Tyler was doing like a solo tour and he played in Wisconsin at Summerfest, which is one of the biggest music festivals yes. in the world in Milwaukee. Yeah. I went there to see some other bands, um, but you could hear everything. It was on one of, the, one of the main stages. I remember walking back to my car and that part in Dream On where he gets really, really high. Yeah. He can still do that at like 72, whatever he is. It's amazing. He is amazing. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Love it. Great, great song choice, great song choice. All right, here we go. This is your song number two. A little gem called Don't Go Back to Rockville. R.E.M., 1984. Where does this song take you? Yeah. <laughs> well, that song takes me to college and... You know, I had my Aerosmith obsession when I was a, you know, a teenager. Then in the 80s, it was all about, you know, indie rock and college radio and R.E.M. is the quintessential band for that. Obviously, they got really big a few years later. But back then, Don't Go Back to Rockville was a song that I would just listen to all the time because I had two cassettes of their first two albums, Murmur and Reckoning. And probably the drive from my parents' house in Westport to the dorms or the apartments I later lived in Providence, you could hear the whole cassette. And I would listen to that song over and over again. And I don't know how familiar you guys are with the lyrics to that song, 
but it's basically Michael Stipe is singing to, I don't know if it's a friend or a lover, but the idea is waste another year. Don't go back to Rockville. And Rockville, the way I'm imagining it, is this town where people are to themselves, they're not friendly to strangers, and it's just kind of a, a dead-end place to be. And me, you know, around 84, I didn't graduate till 85, so I was a little bit of a screw-up then because I, you know, milked the college thing for one more year. But I guess the lyrics of that song, I think are about finding yourself as an adult. And I was in that weird little thing where, I like being Guy Laravie at Rhode Island College because I cool, throw the cool parties and I'm, you know, DJing in the college bar. I'm on the college radio station. Everybody knows who I am, but realizing I can't do this forever. I have to be an adult at some point. So I think that's that's that, that little angst between being, you know, a young adult and a real get out in the world and make something of yourself. That's that's what the lyrics speak to me. That's so beautifully put. Did you go back into radio or did you have to get some like day job stuff after you graduated? Oh, I, I did a lot. Well, here's the thing. I um, I was applying for, you know, I was delusions of grandeur, right? I thought I could go to WBCN or even uh, the stations in Providence, WHJY, right out of college and do afternoons. Like, yeah, right, guy. And I got a reality check. And I was sending out tapes all over New England. Is that all over the country, too? Uh, I, well, I'm not super, super close with my family. So it was never any problem. Like, oh, if I had gotten a call back from a station in Missouri, you know, three months after graduation and they were going to pay me a living wage, I probably would have gone. Mm -hmm. But I kept, you know, hitting hitting the brick wall. And uh, during that time, I had a bunch of part-time jobs before I got into radio full-time. I was a substitute teacher. Both my parents were teachers. And it's kind of a, it's almost like a temp job. You know, you can get, you get that call at six in the morning. And I was on the sub list for three different cities in Massachusetts. And I could sort of have my pick. I mean, if you say no all the time, obviously they're not going to call you back. But, uh, you know, if the radio, and I, and I did have my foot in the door at a hometown radio station as well, a little, w, a little uh, AM station, WALE. Uh, again, that part of Massachusetts is really known for boating, whaling. So that's what it, the little logo was a whale, WALE. So I was doing weekends at WALE and, uh, and, and subbing. So I did that. I did also some other temp jobs cleaning out in factories, doing, um, you know, inventory, a bunch of things that I knew I didn't want to do full time. But, you know, I was at, at that point, too, I was, I was living with my parents. I was living, my parents were divorced. I lived with my mother for a while, then my dad. And I hated that. I mean, I was, you know, away at college for five years. And then, well, you know, go back home, you know, tail between legs, wanting to be this radio guy. So, yeah, those were some of my part time gigs. What did your parents teach? My father was an English teacher. He was the head of the English department. He was, he uh, kind of looked the part. He had a mustache. He'd wear those jackets with a little <laughs> elbow. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, little patches on the elbows, yeah. tweed jackets. A very kind of retiring intellectual kind of man, you know. You know, he had, uh, like I said, the, the salt and pepper mustache that you would expect an English teacher to have. Right. My mother, who was quite a bit younger, she uh, she taught for a short time, and she really couldn't hack the classroom. She ended up working for the state of Massachusetts uh, for the rest of her adult life. Uh, so, yeah. Oh, man. I'm trying to think. My, my first jobs <laughs> were all restaurant-related. 
And I ah. think when I first started in radio, I was working four jobs at one time and they were all part-time and it was the best and like most miserable time of my life. Uh, it was part-time for like a traffic station here in Southern California where on like Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. I'd get up and like report traffic. There's nothing happening at 6 a.m. <laughs> uh, I was also bartending and that was like the most money that I made. What else was I doing? Oh, I was teaching at a broadcasting school and then... What was the other one? Oh, I was doing promotions for a little station called K-Frog <laughs> on the Inland Empire. So everything was like super scattered apart. And I spent more time driving than I did actually working. Just keep hustling. You're going to make it. You're going to get into radio. You're going to do what you want to do. And it was like the biggest relief. Like, oh, I made it. I've got a full-time job, mom, uh, in radio. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's something. Yeah, I mean, I was so excited when I got that call. I mean, again, because I was doing weekends and you, know, you talk about working on Sunday mornings. The first thing I did at WALE out of college was I had to run the board for a gentleman who was Portuguese and his English wasn't that good and he wasn't technically adept. So he'd point to me when it was time for him to talk, to play a commercial, to play a record because this is vinyl. And, uh, you know, again, this is being talked about taken down a notch, me being like this thought I was the big man on campus of the yeah. college radio station, you know, fast forward six months later and I'm getting up at five 30 in the morning when my party friends are probably still going back to bed or hung over from the night before. Yeah. And I'm just pushing buttons for this man that really, again, his English was limited, but it's a very Portuguese area. So they gave him like a Saturday, like six to 10 kind of show. And I was just, I was basically a, a board op. Yeah. Uh, but the, the thing is once I proved that I was uh responsible and capable and kind of came in and didn't blow it off like a lot of other people probably did that's when they gave me some weekend shifts and the sad thing is is the man who was doing mornings on this station that was it was again this is this is in the 80s when there was still some music on am radio but a lot of talk as well like what they called full service ac mm -hmm. and um the guy got very sick and I mm -hmm. basically filled in for him doing mornings. And I'm sure I sounded horribly out of place because here I am like 23 years old talking to this audience of people that were probably close to retirement. And, uh, but from that, I was able to call together a decent tape that got me a full-time job in New Hampshire. So, you know, it's all about paying your dues, right, Maggie? I, oh my God, exactly. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like making a demo? Because in the electronic age, it's super it's it's easy it feels easy but i remember having to like press the mic and like record on a cassette tape and then go back like it was a nightmare yeah yeah and if i, I got pretty adept at it but yeah if you remember those cassette machines from the 80s and 90s where you would have two decks and one you could record to so it's a matter of like okay i'm gonna hold that pause button yeah. and i'm only gonna talk like three seconds before you know the this is a song is fading out and you let it go then you hit it again and then you take that other tape and fast forward to what you think your next breaks are. And it is so agonizing. Yeah. Anybody who's worked in radio and has applied for jobs like uh, I have and you have and tons of other people have, you get sick of the sound of your own voice. You wonder, was that really that good or do I suck? You know, it's just, you know, you just get so critical of yourself and you don't want to, you don't want it to be too long. Mm -hmm. You know, basically now, I mean, again, like you were saying with digital, it's so easy. You point, click, drag, 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 mix mm -hmm. down and it's, it's there. But yeah, doing it old school, it was, it was was really time consuming and tough. And then, you know, in my case, then I'm going to the post office yes. with a manila envelope yeah. and a freaking cassette and my resume 
uh, and throwing them in the mailbox and doing a little Hail Mary and, you know, sign of the cross, hoping that somebody might listen. Yeah. I mean, David, you probably can relate as like an actor when you first started out having to mail headshots and resumes and and do all that. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I, I think that I'm, I'm keenly aware of what separates those that, that really do aspire to, you know, having the full-time experiences, is it's a lot of work. And I don't normally share this uh, on a public level, uh, but I, I am a workaholic, so I have to avoid work at every step <laughs> of the way. Because it will work against me, as we say in the meeting. No, yeah, I mean, I, I, I tried it, I, I, I definitely, had phases, but um, entertainment across the board is, is about rejection. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's always been a hobby for me, more or less. But uh, fortunately, I, I, I've been able to do it. But yeah. I was just going to say, David, you're talking about being a workaholic. And that's why I really love the ballroom dancing, because until then, I was a straight out workaholic. Now, you don't get to be the operations manager of five radio stations without being having a workaholic gene, because so much can go wrong. And in this era of consolidation and voice tracking and blah, 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 blah. I mean, there's lots of times there's nobody in the building, but you might still have to log it in your computer or drive into the station if something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. So that was like, okay, now I've got an escape. Yeah, it's related to music, but most of the clientele of the ballroom dance club I went to were not listeners of the station. They were a handful that were though some of the younger people, or they might hear my voice, or they might see if I was wearing station, like a station jacket or a bumper sticker, and they put the two and two together. But I didn't go out of my way to shake my hand and say, by the way, Guide Arc, three to seven weekday afternoons, 969 the Fox, you know, was gonna be <laughs> lobbying for office. But I guess that's that. what I really liked about it, again, is it opened me up to a circle of friends that I would have not have met otherwise because I was so obsessed with being at the radio station 60, 70 hours a week. Well, yeah, and, and again, I mean, I'm, I'm being a bit facetious with the workaholism. I mean, the, 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 the story of my professional entertainment career is I just didn't have the drive. Um, ah. and I, I'm, not, I'm not ashamed of that. It's not a regretful thing in my life. You know, things, things have worked out, and, and I embrace the laziness. And I think you know, from folks like Maggie and yourself and so many others that we've had on the show that that have that drive, in all honesty, I wouldn't call that workaholic. I mean, I think workaholic would have some kind of negative connotation to it. It it takes drive, man. It's like people have this illusion. And I think, uh, yeah, like money for nothing and your chicks for free is such (laughs) a good line because that's what most people think when they think entertainment. Like, okay, what are you really doing? Oh, how hard can it be to go ahead and go to a big radio station and get in a van and do promotions all day and hand out t-shirts. It's hard. People need to know it, man. It is, it's heavy lifting. And I, cause I've had those jobs and I was like, what? Well, I think what it is, is like, you have to be on all the time, even when you're yeah. not feeling on, mm-hmm. you know, uh, especially like in a smaller area, like where Maggie and I were in, in Wisconsin, where you might run into somebody at the grocery store or the bank, the nose of the radio station. You could be in one of those, like, get out of my face moods, but you still have to, you know, go through the small talk. I mean, you like it, but when you know you're going to be on the air at an event that you, okay, I'm going to be in entertainer mode. And sometimes you don't want to be in entertainer mode. You just want to, you know, get in and get out and not chat with people. And then, oh, it, it's not, you know, backbreaking work, but still, it, it still is work. Emotional responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not easy. And Dave, you and I have talked about that before. It's like, how do you, how do you handle that? Yeah, I, and in all candidness, I had to speak with Maggie earlier this week and just say, you know, this is where I can be challenged because I want our shows to be good and great. And, you know, it's 
like for a lot of people, it's been a tough week. I think there's a guy with a leaf blower outside my window. Just reading from L.A., <laughs> leaf blowers are hard at work. They are an essential part of the workforce. Isn't the that something? That's so weird. Yeah. Good. Uh, great songs. I love that. All right, let's let's keep truck. Let's let's move along. Here we go. Song number three. The boss, Thunder Road. <laughs> yeah, again, again, probably, probably, you know, I've seen so many concerts in my life. But probably the best one I've ever seen was Bruce Springsteen in 1984, was born in the USA. So he'd been around for a while. I mean, people knew who Bruce Springsteen was. He had had Born to Run and other albums in the late 70s and early 80s. But that's what really put him on the map, the whole MTV era, era dancing in the dark with Courtney Cox with the short hair. And uh, yeah, he played for like three hours. I saw him in Hartford, Connecticut. Everybody's singing along at the top of their lungs. But that the lyrics to that song is like, drop the mic. I mean... When he's singing, like, show a little faith, your magic in the night, you ain't a beauty, but hey, you're all right. Mm -hmm. And that's just like, wow, how do you get better than that? Mm -hmm. When I was growing up in New Jersey, <laughs> I mean, obviously, he's like the king there. But every time, like, it, nobody comes through there, right? They go to Newark, and then they go to New York. Like, that's it. They fly into Newark, and they drive up with the turnpike. It's dirty. That's what people think. So anytime, like, we were driving around locally, and there'd be a limo, everyone's like, it's Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen is here. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if that was true or not, but I remember as a kid thinking, like, oh, it's just... If it's a limo, it's Bruce Springsteen. That's who it's going to be. <laughs> no, that, that Born in the USA tour was was the ticket to get in 84. And, oh, my God. I just, that was such an amazing, amazing, amazing tour. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I mean, Bruce Springsteen, you know, the working man and the, the just the, the lyrics. And it just, I don't know. It, he he caught the moment. What's the word? Zeitgeist. I mean, that's what it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it, you know the, the the jeans and the back of with the t-shirt and the, that iconic album photo. I mean, wow. And it's one of those brief moments when nationalism isn't such a horrible word, and everybody kind of gets to to play. Even though the lyrics in Born in the USA are super politically charged, it's like everybody could get into it enough, almost like. Um, What's the other one from Leonard Skinner, Sweet Home Alabama? You know, you don't have to necessarily be from the South to, to kind of grasp that. To get it, yeah, you to gravitate, sure, sure. Here we go. This is your song number four. So I don't mind if you don't mind, because I don't shine if you don't shine before you go. Can you read my mind? I love Jumping into the 2000s here a little bit. The Killers, Read My Mind. I love this song. Where does it take you, Guy? Well, this takes me to the time, again, in the mid-2000s when the Killers were first getting going. And uh, it just reminds me of the girl I was with at the time and seeing mm -hmm. it live performed. There's a, a bar slash concert venue in Milwaukee called The Rave, and that's where a lot of bands of that uh, genre, that you know, level of popularity would go to in bands that weren't big enough to maybe play like the Bradley Center would play there. And again, just the words, uh, just the lyrics talking about uh, woman, open the door. I want to feel that fire again. You feel like maybe it's a couple that's uh, not, maybe their relationship has gone south. Maybe things have gotten stale, but 
again, that whole album, Samstown, is very Springsteen-esque. It just, it just takes me back to, to uh, this girl I was living with at the time, Lauren, and seeing it and just uh, loving life. I mean, just in that, you know, in that particular moment, seeing that show. How did you meet this woman? <laughs> well, at the time, the, and I don't know if you were there or not, but um, there was our, the radio station that I worked for was called The Fox. Mm-hmm. And things were a little less politically correct. And we had this foxy girl calendar yes. where local girls could could uh, email uh, photos of themselves to be possibly included in included in the calendar. And, and and we also had like a big prize. I think like there one girl would actually want a trip to Mexico or something. Right. But anyway, uh, me as the program director slash operations manager, I saw all the pictures. Saw this one girl that I thought was really attractive, and she was. Uh, uh, her whole shtick was kind of like being like the tool girl. So she had, you know, cut off jeans on and uh, like a belly shirt and she was holding a drill. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's kind of hot. So I just kind of said, made some little flirty thing to her. Like her name's Lauren. I'm like, hey, Lauren, thanks for entering. Uh, have a great day. Just nothing creepy or anything. But then we just started going back and forth. You know, this is again before even texting. This is just, you know, her going to, you know, my email address at the time, which would have been guy.darkaccumulus.com and going to hers. And finally, one night she said, you know, we should, we should be uh, at this bar. And uh, uh, if you're not doing anything Saturday, why don't you stop by? And I did. And she had her sister with her and her cousin with her and her father with her, which probably was... <laughs> Probably because maybe if I was a creeper, she'd have backup or whatever. Mm, yeah. But we just chatted and chatted and chatted and just, you know, started dating like like people do. So, yeah, I guess that was one of the fringe benefits of, of being in radio that I was like the gatekeeper seeing these, you know, and there were some not as attractive women or maybe ones that weren't my type, maybe ones that looked maybe a little scary, maybe had like a gazillion tattoos or something like that. Not that I'm anti-body art, but that image can scare some people as I, don't know, I just I just like the idea that she was doing she put some effort into it too. She was doing something a little different and it was in black and white too. Oh, so wow. you know that's really cool to think about that, you know, in those days, especially on air talent and just sort of email communication, there wasn't this social media presence where, you know, you get so many questions answered with a glance. And that was that that's kind of those days are, are gone now where you're kinda of like, I wonder what he looks like. Right, right. There's no mystery now because everybody's life is an open book and everybody, and I'm guilty of it too, you know, maybe having a bad day and you vent something on Facebook. Being on the air, though, I try not to do too much of that Mm -hmm. because even though my Facebook is under my real name, Guy Larravee, it is in parentheses Guy Dark. So anybody that wanted to find out who I was, it's pretty simple. I know, you know, women, a lot of them use different names or maybe have just a station, you know, a, a Facebook, a professional Facebook account where they, you know, I've always had had that one but you're right it takes a lot of the mystery out of it too like okay if you've if if you've read my posts and you've seen my photos uh what do we talk about that first night at the bar we're having a beer Mm -hmm. you already know everything about me there's no mystery a a lot of the mysteries out but the good news is i think is that the shocking surprises are still relevant Mm -hmm. (laughs) what are some things that people told me yeah what are some things that people have told you that you look like oh i thought you were gonna look like a tall man or i thought you were going to look like a short fat guy or i thought you were going to be older like i had that when i was in new hampshire again way before social media i met this woman i think it wasn't at an event i think it was at a clothing store and maybe she heard my voice or whatever she's like 
that's you? I thought you'd be a short, fat Italian guy with curly hair and a mustache. <laughs> and actually a slender guy with, with blonde hair that's always been clean shaven. So there you go. That's great. Did, Dad, do you remember uh, Night Sounds with David Allen Boucher in Boston? Oh, sure. Sure, on Magic 106.7. Yeah. And that guy's shtick is that no one ever knew what he looked like. No one did. I, but my friend Monine Daly Hart, Monine Daly, I don't know if you ever crossed my heads with her. She's a big jock in, in Boston, ex-roommate of mine. But yeah, she. I went in to go see David Allen Boucher, and I was just over the moon that I got to see David Allen. Did, Are you, did like you have to voice. sign? I was like, did you have to sign something that said you can't say what he looks like? No, Monique was like, look, look, there's David Allen Boucher. I think on the website, if you go to his photo, it's just a picture of a hat, and it's like you don't really see the person's yeah, face. Yeah, yeah. So he's got that shtick down pat, yeah. I'm not going to give away details. Okay. You don't want to ruin it for everyone else. Agreement. Yeah. Do you guys have favorite DJs within your world of being on air talent? Is there someone that comes to mind immediately for each, for both you folks, Maggie and Jack? I'll let Maggie go first. Of a, a favorite on air talent that I have right now? Um, yeah, or that comes to mind, I guess, yeah. Um, I I mean, right now I'm pretty obsessed with uh, the Woody show, which is broadcast here out of Los Angeles. And it's so fascinating to be able to have watched them work and then travel the country and hear them in different parts of the country. They're some of the most hardworking people I think I've ever seen. And they're, they're taking old ideas and making it new and exciting again, which I think is fascinating. And I think it's really cool. It was just really cool to watch them work and then to be able to enjoy it as a listener. It's like, wow, this is magic. <laughs> they're just magic, all of them. Yeah, Maggie, when I was in Wisconsin, I actually was lobbying my company to pick up the Woody show because I was familiar with them. And my boss didn't like it. He heard like an air check and heard them talk about penises and vibrators <laughs> and dildos. Not that it's, it's nonstop sex talk, but it's they do not, get into that area yeah. a little bit. Yeah, they and, do. But yeah, the, the way they play off each other is great and they make it sound so easy. But I also know they're in the building at like 2 a.m., right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember AM WTKO. Um, where I would hear, like, um, uh, you know, we're going to get out the back, Jack, make a new plan, stand. Just really crazy 70s stuff on my way to school every morning with my dad and my stepmom and my brothers and sisters. And Big Jim Roberts. I mean, I'm from Ithaca, New York, the small central New York state town at the end of Cayuga Lake. I mean, you could throw a football and I think cover the entire distance of our town. Um, but Big Jim Roberts was such a celebrity and accessible. Is there still such a thing as the small town radio icon that's yeah. kind of encouraging people to get? Yeah, that's good. I, I, I think that. there is. And in a place like where I am now in Traverse City, Michigan, I mean, this is a tourist town. And hopefully it will be a tourist town again once we get through this mess, right? Right. But uh I mean, we're four hours away from Detroit, like three hours or about three hours away from Grand Rapids. So we are sort of like in the middle of nowhere. So I think here the radio DJs are a bigger deal than when I was in Appleton Oshkosh. Also, not a huge market, but very close to Milwaukee and Green Bay. Mm -hmm. So it, feel, it feels a lot smaller here because we're not near any, any big hub. So I think the radio people and the TV people, the weatherman, you know, they're a big deal. And that has to be preserved. I'm so glad. I can tell when I'm driving cross-country, because Los Angeles has a lot of pre-programmed stuff out there, and there's oh, so yeah. many options, it's hard to really lock into, this is my regular station. At least it has been for me. 
But man, I cross New Mexico and, and I'm starting to get into the heartland. It's just a whole different, even just hearing like those lulls where you're not getting any good reception and, and you can pick up like, it's Friday night football here in Whittleby, North, South, whatever place, you know? And I just listen to the local football game is amazing. I think it's different, too, because here in Los Angeles, there's so many rules and there's so much competition. And it's like, I don't know if you guys deal with this in in Traverse City, Michigan, but here it's like, get in, get out, get in, get out. Say what you got to say and say it fast and faster and faster and faster. But when you leave, they have more time to play. It's kind of like comedy in a sense where it's like, here you get three minutes of stage time. You're like, I got to get up and be funny like right away. But then when you leave here, you get more time to play. Right. And then. It's, it's so much more interesting and engaging and it's just different. It's just really different here. Well, yeah, I mean, getting getting kind of technical into radio speak, but that's because the larger markets are, you know, the PPM thing where people mm-hmm. are, you know, p- people have the devices and they're recorded how much they're listening as opposed to the smaller markets where people are filling out a diary. Mm-hmm. So in those diary markets, which is pretty much anything from market 100 to infinity, you know, people are just writing down what they listen to. And if you've been on the radio a long time, like in, in Green Bay Murphy in the morning on yes. WYXX, he's older than I am. And he's not super hip, but he is surrounded by, by people who are younger and in that demographic. And there you know, he's still around and will be probably as long as he is, as long as he wants to be. But yeah. he can have an off day or they, you know, they have a topic that might not fly or whatever. And there's a lot more leeway, where as opposed to, you know, the LA's, Detroit's of the world, where, mm-hmm. you know, you screw up and talk more than 30 seconds, your PD is going to think that, you know, the wrath of God is going to fall on it. Yeah. It's very different. Our only, our only go-to, uh, and I love this guy, is Art LeBeau. Yeah. Oh, the late night. Yeah. Oh, God. No, not 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 the uh, the talk radio guy, but Art oh, LeBeau. Oh. He, he's the guy who did the um, oldies but goldies back in the 1950s. And he's got this really mechanical delivery where uh, he'll get his call-ins. It's like uh, Jose Maria and Hector just called from Echo Park, California. <laughs> Maria's sad because her dad has now been deported to Mexico, and they'd like to hear tears of a clown. And it's like total. He's a totally white guy, but his audience is overwhelmingly Hispanic, Mexican American. And they've loved him for 40 years, and they've not broken out of, like, mostly Motown and doo-wop and, and that genre. It's fascinating to listen to. And he's so, like, just a reliable go-to guy. Still alive. I think he's, like, 80-something. Still doing Right, it. and he's not doing it as retro. That's just the way he is. Like, you could get a younger guy or a younger gal doing that as shtick, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. like American Graffiti or something. But Yeah. Yeah. Well, all of that from the killers. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> here we that go. That wasn't a PPM friendly break. <laughs> no, no, I, no. I, we don't encourage that here on Y Two Shuffle. This is your song number five. Oh, won't you stay with me? Cause you're all I need. I've been looking forward to this one. Really? Oh yeah. Stay with me by Sam Smith. This is such a and- great song. Yeah, and uh, again, with it's keeping with the with the ballroom dancing theme. Mm-hmm. I'm not a, I don't listen to a ton of pop music. Most of the music I listen to for my own personal enjoyment is rock or alternative or indie and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But you know, you can't help but hear a song that's that popular. And I did that. I did a dance routine doing a bolero to that song with my 
former partner, Angela, and we did it like four different times. That was like the highest scores I ever got. And I think part of it too is with dancing, if you're dancing to something fast and uh, like a swing or uh, some of the, some of the, the faster dances like uh, cha-cha, hustle, the Latin dances, you're really moving around a lot. And because of that, you can kind of make some mistakes with your footwork with a slow dance, it's very, very precise. Mm. And you really have to take your time. And anybody who's learning how to dance, the, the most common mistake people have when they start out, and most people never completely break out of it, including myself, is going faster than the music. Because you've got this, when you're doing a routine, you know, it's all muscle memory. And the way I would learn a routine, say we dance to a song like that Sam Smith song, and that's three and a half minutes long. The way that I would learn these routines is, uh, my instructor or two instructors would basically, I tell them the song I wanted to do, what kind of dance I wanted to do. And according to my ability level, like, okay, you can do the song. Then we'd learn it in like maybe 15 or 20 second increments. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the first, the beginning of that song, if you know the lyrics to that, it's a man who's a, uh, cheated on his girlfriend or his wife and then he wants to get back into her good graces mm -hmm. so the beginning of the song um my back is to the crowd and my partner is on the other end of the room and i'm on my cell phone and i'm turning around and then i see her there and it kind of like i put the phone away and i it's the whole cat and mouse game like how's this man going to woo his lady back after yeah. he's wronged her and you know it's probably my proudest moment of dancing because we did it four different times, and I thought it got a little bit better every time. Yeah, and uh, and it's a great song. You, you, and it's a, and, and just not the song I could even ever imagine. I, if I were went to a ballroom dancing event and I heard those opening, you know, that opening music, you know, I have a picture, right? Right. Yeah. Right. And, right. And he's, he talks about like, I'm not one, I'm not, it was only a one night stand. There's something in there about one night stands. It would, it, it not only would it blow me away that I'm about to see a choreographed number to that particular song, but guy, I share, I, I can go back in my head and I know exactly where I am on Route 81. I can tell you the temperature, the time of day was night. And I was with a very special person in my life. And, 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 Ever since that song came on at precisely the right moment, it's one of those. Whenever I hear it, it 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 it's it's like you're back on uh, Route 81. Flashback. It's a, such a great high, such a flashback high. And you did a dance routine to it. It's amazing. Yeah, and like I said, I mean, just the uh, when you're getting ready to dance, you kind of like, and maybe you guys have watched Dancing with the Stars, so you think you can yeah. dance and. You know, you're getting into dance mode. Like me and my partner Angela, we were friends, and we I joke like, "Oh, she's my dance wife, he's my dance husband," and mm -hmm. the way we would bicker and stuff. And she's like this little Italian lady with a very pronounced accent. It was kind of funny because she was, you know, she her English is pretty pretty good. She's been in the states since the early '90s, but every once in a while there'd be a word she didn't know or she pronounced wrong, and. <laughs> she would say linger instead of linger. She's like, guy, don't just linger there. Come, come get me. You know? <laughs> and I, I, I'm hearing her little cute Italian voice with once in a while making, you know, grammatical or phonics mistakes while she's teaching me to do that, to do that song. So yeah, that's, that's why I ranked it up there as, you know, one of, my, one of my favorites to close out the list. Is there anyone wow. that you look up to in the dance world? Have, have you studied it at all? Like other, other professionals or amateurs? 
not not really, but more of the people that were the local people mm-hmm. in Wisconsin that were really good. I mean, you know, again, I was in the Appleton Oshkosh area, but we would dance in, you know, in uh, Stevens Point and Milwaukee and uh, and Green Bay. So every every club had its own little little um, little showcase. But there was this one woman who was a doctor. Uh, who's a really good dancer in the Wausau area. And here's me, right? I'm thinking, well, this chick's probably just somebody's trophy wife. You know, she dances all the time. She's this beautiful, she looks like a, like a young Meryl Streep. She's just wow. a, a beautiful lady and a really nice dancer and a really nice person. And I'm talking to people like, oh, she just must be like somebody's, somebody's trophy wife. That's why she could practice every day and like found out she's actually a brain surgeon. Wow. I'm, like, I'm like, how the hell do you impress a girl like that? All right. <laughs> You just be authentically you. That's amazing. I love these songs. Thank you so much, Yev. Yeah, yeah. Thank, as Megan was saying, and I stepped all over her, it's like, yeah, thank you for these great songs. And, Guy, I could just do another two hours because there's so much, you know, out there based on, you know, where you started and then a career in the Midwest. I mean, that's a whole other show. I, I'd love it if you could come back and just talk about living in the Midwest, having grown mm-hmm. up on the coast and, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I grew up in New England, then my first program director job was in Fargo, North Dakota. So mm-hmm. right when the movie Fargo was coming out oh, wow. in the 90s, I lost that gig, then went out to Reno, Nevada for a couple of years. So I did a little taste of, you know, the Pacific time zone of the West Coast and realizing that at least back then people still said hella and it wasn't being ironic. People were yeah, dude, that song's hella rad. Yeah. <laughs> like, am I? Did I walk into a 1980s movie? No, people still talk like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is, do they still? Yeah, yeah. Uh, our la- the last episode we just posted, um, the guest she's she's in the Bay Area. She lives in San Jose, San Francisco, and uh, she just dropped it so casually. I didn't even bring it up, but I thought that I was like, oh, that's a neat thing that she just said that. It was hella something, hella interesting. It was so casual how she just brought it up, but I was like, "Oh, people do right, still right. use she that." Wasn't, yeah. She wasn't doing it for a punchline. That's no. just the way she talks. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah so then, yeah. So I've lived in three time zones. Yeah. If you guys are ever hurting for another guest and you want to talk about something else, I mean, don't be afraid to contact me. I, I do. I, I want to do a theme show where an expert comes in and picks five Midwestern songs and why those were chosen to be. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. You know, it'd be like a flyover episode. You're great. This has been just Well, here a- we are. I mean, I'm in the midst of like Bob Seger country who I'd like, and then there's Kid mm-hmm. Rock and Ted Nugent, and that's mm-hmm. a whole different story. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. All the redneck homophobic. Uh, yeah. Well, anyway. <laughs> let's take a, let's take an emotional brain break and we're going to let David take over with a game we call band name or bar name. Maggie Mayfield, it's time once again for the Y-Tune Shuffle exclusive original game show. Is it the name of the band or is it the name of the bar the band is playing in? This week, uh, we are traveling to Toledo, Ohio, so kind of the Midwest. This might not be too difficult for you guys. And uh, as we're uh, kind of wrapping up the show, if we're imagining that we're all together in Toledo listening to this great music and chatting, I'm going to make a suggestion that we go to the tin can because tonight playing at the tin can is fusion. Oh my God. Fusion is incredible. I mean, talk about fusion. This is truly musical fusion or something like that. But I could just as easily say, Hey, you guys, let's go down to fusion. Cause tonight, guess who's there? Tin can and they're rocking it. So which one is it guy and Maggie? 
which one is the one? This oh, is such a man. stupid game show, but I love it. I think Fusion is like a chain restaurant. I think it's like a chain Asian restaurant, I think. <laughs> wow, Maggie, and, and you are an expert on chain restaurants. I've known that. <laughs> I think hobby. I only think that because I think before I left Champagne Urbana, a fusion just opened up. I think. What do you think, guy? Do you trust Maggie's? Uh, I actually, I actually agree. I do think that Fusion is probably the name of the club, and the Tin Can is the name of the band. And you're talking about chain restaurants, uh, Maggie. You could be the Jennifer Aniston character in Office Space with the flare on her uniform. I love you so much right now. Thank you. <laughs> All I all I heard was that you said I look like Jennifer Aniston. That's all I heard. So <laughs> we have decided that uh, uh, in our imagination we'd be going to Fusion, the chain restaurant with a great salad bar, uh, with all you can eat wings. You get buckets of them and Corona buckets of uh, beer all together for eight ninety five. But we can't because oh no, if we're at. One South Erie Street, Toledo, Ohio, zip code four three six zero four. You would be at the Tin Can. Of course restaurant. we would. Of course we. Dang it! Of course. <laughs> and likely playing would be the energetic and engaging Fusion, spelled F-U, the number five I-O-N, is a party band from Toledo, Ohio, mixing five different genres of music, pop, rock, country, jazz. And R&B, is there a sixth genre? I don't know. They have performed together for over 25 years wow. all over the country and overseas. Fusion has performed at some of the largest venues, including the Huntington, but they only cost $7,000 a gig. Thank you for playing bar name and band name. I'm glad I zinged you on this one. Yeah, you, Guy, you have Take us anywhere in the world, anywhere at all, any small town, city, any place, and next week's show, I'm going to research it to find band names and bar names to play this incredibly silly game show. <laughs> Sounds good. Let's see. Um, Portland, Maine. Portland, Maine will be Guy Dark's choice for next week. Thank you, Guy, for playing band name and bar name. <laughs> Thinking very hard. I think we've alluded to this already, but we'd love to hear the story of your very first concert experience. Oh, yeah. Well, that was my brother and I being taken to to see Aerosmith wow. uh, in 1974. They already they had, they had one album out at the time. It was their debut album, which has Dream On on it. And they played at uh, a college called SMU. Not SMU as in Texas, but Southeastern Massachusetts University. My mother was a student there. My mother went back to school uh, after my brother and I were a little bit older. And she took my brother and I to uh, to see Aerosmith, and uh, you know there's there's pot smoking in the mm -hmm. parking lot. And my, I'm like maybe eleven or twelve. My, bro my brother's ten, but my mother wanted to be the hip mom, mm -hmm. and she 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 took us to that show. So that was that was the very first show that I saw. Then the next show that I saw was the Allman Brothers Band, wow. and my mother took took me to see that as well. And that was in Providence. Uh, the Providence Civic Center in Rhode Island, which again was half an hour of, away from where I was, so kind of kind of bittersweet because my mother and I are not on the greatest of terms, mm. and uh, you know when she went back to school, she started cheating on my dad. She was a cocktail waitress and blah 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 blah. But at least at that point in time, she did you know she understood what her kids were into and thought it would be hey she's going to get some cool mom points by taking Guy and my brother Mark Guy and Mark to to, to see Aerosmith. 
And she had them for a little while. She had the cool mom coins. She did. Yeah. What about the last cool. the last music you saw, last show you experienced? All right. Well, again, you know, the, one of the things I, you know, again, pre-coronavirus when things were normal and there were music venues and all that, you know, one of the things that does that I don't like about living here is that I'm not close enough to a venue like Milwaukee and so forth. Mm -hmm. And we basically have bands on the has been tour that kind of come through here. Mm. And there's uh. a band that had a little bit of chart success in the rock world called Tantric. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Tantric or not. Oh, not I've heard of it. Yeah, Tantric, I've heard of it. Yeah. Well, you know, they they played uh, at a bar in Kalkaska, Michigan, which is about half an hour from here. And, you know, realizing there is such a thing as nostalgia for the early 2000s. And there are, there are fine, fine bands. It's just something that I would never have sought out if my station wasn't presenting it and I wasn't going up on stage throwing out T-shirts and introing the band. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That would be like, I probably would have thumbed my nose at that being, oh, that's butt rock from the 2000s. Who gives a rat's ass? I want to see Death Cab for Cutie or right. Billie Eilish or something cooler, you know? Right. But, you know, people had fun. The guy's got a great voice. It is what it is. It's just not the scene that I'm into. So that's that's the last that's the last concert I saw. Anything that you're looking then for? Then before that, in the summertime, I did see uh, Weird Al Yankovic. Oh my god, yeah. so jealous! That's amazing. Yeah, there's the there's a school here for uh, it's Interlochen Academy of Arts. It's right Interlochen is right next to Traverse City. Yeah, actually, Jewel was here as a teenager. That's where yeah. she studied. And Josh Groban, oh, wow. and they've got a pretty, yeah, and they've got a pretty good budget for bringing in acts. So they brought in some uh, some some pretty top flight country acts. They brought in some classic rock acts like Steve Miller, and they brought in Weird Al. And that guy works his ass off. Yeah. I mean, there are so many costume changes. It it yeah. is a show. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. Wow, I love that so much. Well, being the music guru and rock guy and and dancer that you are, how can we? follow you what's your corner of the internet how can we keep up with what you're up to okay well i mean i'm guy guy paul larvey on facebook on twitter it's uh, at guy dark radio and instagram it's just guy dark so there's where i am perfect we'll make sure we put links up to all of that in the blog in this post david earl waterman thank you so much um for co-hosting this amazing show all of the music that you heard today is also in a blog which will be linked up in this post as well i've been maggie mayfield and if you haven't already please like subscribe and share we're on all the socials at y tunes shuffle thank you so much for listening